Hey, what's up? This is Lou from Sick of It All, and you're listening to the Miserable Failure Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Miserable Failure Podcast, brought to you by Krusty Media, and I am your host, as always. Michael X. Krusty. How's everybody doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing fantastic, actually. I can't really complain. I'm really enjoying all the feedback I'm getting from everybody about the podcast. I really do appreciate everyone reaching out to me and, and letting me know how much they like the episodes. It means a lot to me. So thank you so much for doing that. If you want to find out any more information about uh, Krusty Media, just head over to crustymedia.ca. We got a new shop there with a whole bunch of merch for this podcast, for my band, no big deal. And for Krusty Media, as well as prints, we got a ton of prints. I am a concert photographer. Anything that you can purchase on there helps, helps immensely on my part. So thank you in advance. And I got a great conversation with Steve Rollis from Belvedere. And this is a standoff. And I want to play a Belvedere song first. Let's go all the way back. And this is for all my listeners. Two minutes for looking so good. Yeah! 
So how are you doing? Yeah, things are good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you were in town for this is a standoff show, which was probably what, 2018, maybe? Was this at the Hard Luck? The Hard Luck. Yeah, my band opened for you guys. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and I remember, I distinctly remember you guys getting there to do soundcheck and then immediately going to the Blue Jays game, I guess, like, because that's like a treat for you guys, maybe? It is, yeah. Well, because John's from Toronto, so he uh, he actually works for the Blue Jays now, which is kind of funny. Oh, cool. But, uh, but he's a big ball fan, and, and I was too growing up, and I'd never been to a Jays game. I'm like, I've been to Toronto like 30 times. I don't know how I've never been to this. And so he got on the phone, grabbed some tickets for us, and so we just bolted out of there, did the sound check, bolted out. And I think we only saw up to the sixth inning, sixth or seventh inning, but it was like – you know, they, they were cheap tickets, but I think they were down in the hundreds. Like, it was like one of those, like, I can't believe we're getting these tickets for this, you know? And uh, so it was awesome. Yeah. I, and I, I've been to a couple of ball games. I went to one in San Francisco a bunch of years ago. And then every, uh, the last couple of times I've been to Japan, I, I've seen the Tokyo Giants play, but I've never seen a Blue Jays game. And, you know, growing up in Canada, that's, that was kind of, well, them and the Expos growing up were my team. So it was very exciting. Yeah. You, we don't, we don't get to do as much of that stuff. And so any chance we get to kind of you know, rush over and see this, or rush over and see that, we, we try to take it. How is it watching baseball in Tokyo? It's probably just crazy, like just so much fun. It's a great time. Um, they have a very cool, I mean, the league's been there since the early 30s, right? So, I mean, baseball is their national sport. I've seen two games in the Tokyo Dome. I've seen the Giants play twice. And I don't know what the actual capacity there is. It's, it's somewhere in the 50,000 plus, but it's, it's packed. Every player, every home player has their own song. Like there's this really awesome like call and response from certain parts of the field. And, and um, it's, a, it's a different experience. It, they're both great, but it is definitely a little bit different experience in, in Japan. And then they're very passionate about the, the game. And uh, it's, it's incredible to be there and see it. Yeah, I would, I would love to do that one day, hopefully, after everyone's vaccinated. Yeah, well, you know, and when you go there, like Japan's a lot cheaper to get there now than it used to. Like when we first toured there in the early 2000s, it was quite expensive, but now it's kind of come down quite a bit. And, you know, even things like food and things are, are I feel are, are reasonable, you know, um, even like baseball tickets, I know they're expensive, but you can go, I went the day of, and you can buy standing room only tickets for about a thousand yen, which is just over 10 bucks. And oh, so, that's cheap. Wow. you know, to just, you don't get a seat, but you get to stand there and, and watch and it's, it's in the concourse. And uh, I mean, good enough, right? Like you're tired, leave after four or five innings, right? So, I think I've paid upwards of a hundred dollars for standing room to go watch the Leafs play. Yeah. Well, sorry about that. And probably not that good too. Eh? <laughs> no, no, that was, that was, uh, you know, back in the, when Jason Blake was still on the team, they were, they were awful. Obviously they're much better now, but I'm sure, I'm sure we, we have hockey rivals. You're a Calgary. I'm assuming you're a flames fan. I'm well, I'm, I'm not really much of a hockey fan to be no? honest with you. I, okay. I do. I do enjoy a little bit of hockey here and there. I grew up in a baseball family. So baseball is real big with me and, and NFL. I like, I've, I've been a Seahawks fan for a long time. Don't hate me, but yeah. So no, no, I, hate, uh, no hate. are you a Bills fan? No, uh, I'm not a Bills fan to anyone listening in Buffalo. I actually have a Buffalo Bills story. I was a, a really big new England Patriots fan for <laughs> a while. Mm. A lot of people hated me and I went to go watch the Patriots play in Buffalo in the cheap seats and stupid me. The only time I've ever gone to a Buffalo Bills game, I wore a Patriot stuff and uh, I almost got, I got spit on. I almost got peed on and I almost got stabbed. We left halfway through the game. 
a, a Pats fan. Hey, this connection's getting a little rough here, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going uh, on. Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't even watched football in a while. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched a little bit this year. You know, it's been kind of fun actually. I've caught up on sports the last couple of years because I did tour a lot in the '90s and 2000s and kind of lost touch of things because I was gone so much. Um, so I have been able to kind of catch up on some sports I like when I was a kid. So I'm friends with Dave Brown Sound, and I'll be talking to him about something. He'd be like, "Hey, remember in like 2002 when you'd, you'd go to that place in Toronto?" He's like, "Nah, man. I like." He's like, "I was never here for those years. I have no idea what you're talking about." Like, like, God damn! But I could just imagine. It's true, and you kind of get into this groove where you're touring all the time, and you start realizing that you're missing a lot of Mother's Days and you know other family events that. You know, you really uh, appreciate it when you're at home for for it. So um, much like this last year where we were supposed to be gone a lot. Uh, my son's five. I've been home with him all year and just kind of working from home and stuff. And it's been a nice silver lining with all the bad stuff that's that's happened. I've actually had a conversation with a couple of people. Uh, Cone would be mm-hmm. one of them who mentioned, talked about that. And also Anthony or Tony from the Arkells, the keyboard player. Yeah. And he, they both said the same thing. They said, you know, they, they didn't really know their kids or their kids didn't really know them. And they've, you know, the last year they've got to spend with the kid and now their sons know who they are and they've grown this relationship that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten from if there was no pandemic, they'd be on tour the whole year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It absolutely is a good sort of winning. And on that note, you guys were supposed to be touring your 25th anniversary tour last year. Yeah, I, I don't think we pitched it as that just because we were split up for seven years. And there's always that, well, is it really 25 years? But yeah, we were kind of going for it a little bit more this year. We had almost 100 shows booked, you know, not all year, but certainly would have would have taken up a good amount of, of last year. So we've shelved it. We've moved it over to this year. And now we're kind of, there's a lot of question marks about how much is going to be possible at the end of this year and what's going to get moved to 2022, hopefully. Would that be like North America, Europe, maybe Japan, maybe Australia? We had three Europe tours last year. And then we had a lot of festivals and uh, some stuff in Canada, a little West Coast jaunt, a little East Coast jaunt. I don't think we planned to go to the U.S. last year, but we are planning um, in 2022 at the tailing, which is the first time we've been down there in 15 years. So we had some Mexico stuff, and uh, probably there'll be other stuff that'll we'll probably have to tag on. But we got we got to basically make this stuff up first, and then it's hard to make a plan when you're unsure exactly when the plan can happen. So it's kind of up in the air. You know, I'm the booking agent for the band as well, and I book 20 other bands, so it's. It's not just Belvedere, it's 300 some shows in total with, um, with the other bands. So it's, uh, it's a lot of question marks and I'm busy, I'm not busy. And, uh, you know, my fear is that everything's going to get kind of thrown open and then it's going to, let's, let's make this all up. Like, oh, okay. So Belvedere, basically it's your, your band, it's your baby, right? You're the manager, you're the, the guy in charge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Musically, what has changed for you in the last 25 years? You were a kid back then, and now and now you're not a kid. Are you still approaching songwriting the same way? No. I would say that when I was 18, you just wanted to pump out as much stuff as possible and not really give a lot of things a second listen. That's changed now. Lyrically, musically, it goes under a microscope a lot more now. And we have the ability to do that because our drummer runs the studio. So even though we do have sort of set timeframes for, for things, we don't have timelines. We don't have to, we don't have worry about getting kicked out of the studio if we have to go a couple extra days. So it does, it, it enables us to, to sort of do things in small clumps and then sit back and listen to it and go, is this what we want to you know move to the next, the next phase where, you know, when we did our first album, it was 
we have to record 12 songs in, you know, four days. Whatever's at the end of it, that's what we get. So did you record the album at Casey's studio? Yeah, he runs a studio called Echo Bass Studio. And the last Belvedere record was tracked there. So we, we mixed it at the Blasting Room. I've tracked two This Is A Standoff records there. And then I did my acoustic album in full there. So yeah, we did everything from, you know, tracking to mixing and mastering at, at Casey's. And did you guys just produce it? The band produced it themselves? Yeah, yeah, Casey and I did it. Very, very cool. And the new album is called, uh, I have it here, Hindsight is the Sixth Sense. Is that correct? And when is it releasing? Uh, May 14th. And it's coming out on Thousand Islands Records in North America. And uh, EU UK is on uh, Lockjaw Records. And as of right now, you have the three songs out. You guys just released Camera Obscura, which is a great song. And I got to say, Elephant March is so good. There's so many melodies happening. First of all, like the, the, the melody you're singing in the chorus is so catchy. And then you're just doing all these things with the guitar. It's, it's a great song. It's a great tune. Yeah, Elephant March was fun. It was a, a song that was one of the first songs that came up. Dan originally wrote sort of a what mostly came out as, as the, with the final riff. And then we uh, then we went at it. Definitely went through a few reiterations and a little bit of editing and at the end there. But it was uh, I'm really proud of that song and I like how it turned out. And I'm glad others do as well. Yeah, it's great too.
you guys are obviously, you're known for being very technical band. Did you take lessons when you were young or how did you get so good at guitar? Are you just, just playing and playing, playing? First off, I'm the rhythm player. I consider my, my singing to be sort of my first instrument, but. But you're still, you still crush it. You still crush I it. I do have to keep up with these guys for sure. And yeah, that's years of just trying to keep up with guys. Like I, I definitely played a lot when I was a kid, hours on end, but I never took lessons and you sort of develop it over time and, and, you know, being influenced by, you know, you know, sort of the bad religion, Pennywise, no effects. That was what I sort of, you know, played along with. Some of the metal stuff seemed pretty out of my reach, but punk rock was sort of right in the ballpark, you know, guys like Casey and our drummer and, and Dan, our guitar player, like Dan went to GIT. Is that what they call it? The college in uh, LA. Okay. The Players Guitar Institute. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's definitely, he's been playing for a long time, but he also got schooled on, on the instrument as well. And Casey has been sort of known as a very good Calgary drummer for a very long time. How do you find these guys? Cause they're just so technical and, and it's like some of the songs are tool songs, like they're math equations, you know, what's the technical side of that? If it's, you're filling the songs out and you guys are just making it happen naturally, or do you like, you sit down, you have all these parts and you're trying to like make them work together. What's the writing process? Most of the stuff gets written sort of music first. It starts with riffs and we develop it into songs and, and there is arrangements that have to be thought of. And then once we sort of have the music, we, we do try to demo most of it without vocals. And then I take it home and then I, I kind of work at it for a while afterwards. We try to, you know, do some cool stuff on our instruments that, you know, we try to be somewhat original as much as we can. And I think a, a big part of this band, as well as some of the technical stuff, is that I like, I like good choruses and I like good sing-alongs. And I do like to go a little sideways sometimes with the structure, but I also sometimes like the verse, chorus, verse, chorus. So it is kind of a mix, you know, it's, um, you kind of have to deliver the, the techie stuff in a way that you hope is accessible to people and you want to have as much fun noodling. That's the whole, that's so much, it's so much fun. And, you know, and truthfully is, as I'm trying to sing and play with this stuff, I do have to keep up a lot live um but it's so like some of our most techie songs are some of the funnest to play which is probably not you know probably obvious but it, it really i love the challenge you know and it's and it's fun to to rip it off and, and play it well live if we can keeps you sharp are lyrics the last thing to be written they're the last things to be written but it's very important to me it's probably number one for me like the music you want it to be technical but you want it to be a great tune that you're going to enjoy playing and people are going to like listen to so it's the same thing with lyrics you want to get a good melody and then you want good meaning behind it yeah for sure difference in lyrics between now and then would be back then you're singing about girls and love and all that kind of stuff and now you're you're getting a little bit more deeper i don't know if we had so much about love we definitely had a couple of those songs but you know you deal with stupid things not stupid but just silly kind of stuff you know you're 18 and you're like well let's just let's write about wrestling let's write about <laughs> You know, whatever, like, and some of the topics were actually quite serious, but the way that they were sort of put together and delivered wasn't as serious. It was a little more funny. I think when you get to your forties, this is our sixth album. I've got over a hundred, you know, songs out there between a couple of bands and the same old, same old just isn't really good enough. It's like, well, why are we going all this work just to kind of say, you know, you know, talk about wrestling it just doesn't make sense. So I wanted to, you know, it's been a tough year and, and I wanted to, to sing about things that, that meant something to me. You mentioned wrestling in Calgary. I'm like, oh, the Hart Foundation. Wasn't that like a big Calgary staple for a very long time? Like the Bret Hart's and all those guys, weren't they from Calgary? Yeah. Yeah. We had Stampede Wrestling when we were kids. And there was um, the Hart family had a house up on uh, near CFCN. Can't remember the hill, but um, they had a big wrestling ring outside of their, their big house there. And you could see it when you drove by on Sarcy Trail. Yeah. Wrestling was a pretty big thing for Calgary growing up. And um, 
you know, we had a, a little phase, you know, in the early times of Belvedere where we did watch a lot of wrestling, which I hadn't watched as a kid and I haven't watched much since. So, Well, you guys started off when much music was very prominent. I definitely saw your videos on much music all the time. Was there uh, any other Canadian bands that kind of influenced you back then? Like, did you guys do any touring with Gob back then? So we didn't do a lot of touring with sort of bigger bands. I remember when Gob came out with, uh, with Too Late No Friends, that was a pretty big record for the time. And what was that, like 94, 95? Yeah, 95, I think. Network. You know, we were still going to shows every week at the Black Lounge. It was this, you know, little 300 cap room. And so Gob was like a, you know, big show at the time. SNFU was a big show. We played with Gob once or twice, maybe in the mid to late, maybe 97, 98. I think my first all ages show was with Gob now that I think about it. And we hadn't seen them for a long time. And we just saw them actually at a festival a few, few years ago. And, and, uh, and Theo and sometimes Tom had come out to shows over the, you know, the last little while, Gabe as well. And, um, yeah, they're good guys. We, uh, we haven't really met up as much, but you know, every once in a while you sort of see him at a festival and it's reminiscing. At some 41 show, I ran to him and, and literally we just talked about that album, that gob album for like an hour. And he, he just didn't want to stop talking. It was, it was pretty awesome just to get deep in, into conversation with that album. Such a great album. Well, it was neat to see at the time, you know, because they were on mint records and I don't, I think mint records seemed quite a bit bigger to us kids at the time. But that band, that record went on to sell a lot of records. And, and I think, you know, as far as sort of like a DIY Canada band, that was, they really went for it across Canada at the time. And so, you know, we definitely wanted to be a part of something like that as well. I think it helped you guys kind of sprout and, and do your thing. It's so hard to say, like, you know, you, I was listening to Gob, I was listening to No Effects and Bad Religion and all these bands and SNFU. And you kind of go, well... Uh, you know, RKL kind of came around late, late nineties, you know? So I don't know. I mean, they all kind of, it's hard to say what influenced you to play music, but I would say that no effects definitely was a big one for me in the early days. As far as like seeing bands get out there and do things, I think Gob was definitely a band that was, it was cool to see them go out across Canada and do well. I'll tell you though, like, you know, for Calgary, there wasn't a lot of Calgary bands doing stuff at that time, but Chicks Dig It was always, not only were they doing great and, and, and really working hard, but they were one of the only bands that were really helpful. You know, when I asked for help, um, Mike Egerman, uh, who isn't with the band anymore, but he was sort of running, he was their bass player. And he was the first to show me how to do P2 visas to tour the States. And how do you do this? You know? And so it kind of got us going in the States there a little bit earlier than, than others. I think once we kind of got a taste of playing shows whether it was weekend shows or like we, you know, weeks down to California, it was on, you know, by 99, we were, we were pretty full time. Was it a pain in the ass to do P2 visas back then? Like it is now still, and just as expensive. Probably not as expensive, but just as big of a pain in the ass. They still required 90 days in advance or something to get contracts. And for a band that didn't do contracts, that was tough. They don't make it easy to tour down there. And, you know, depending on what level of tour you're on, what circuit of venues, you know, they also came, they come after you for a third of your guarantee being a foreign artist. So there's also that knock on top of a couple grand for a visa. So even though we did a lot of touring down there in the late nineties and early two thousands, once we could go to Europe, we didn't really ever look back. 
I was going to say, is that why you haven't gone to the States in a while? I feel like Europe is a great market for Canadian bands in general. There's so many bands I know they'd rather go to Europe because it's cheaper and there's you drive three, four hours, you're in another country and you're playing in a packed venue, overcapacitated venue, and it's always a great time. And they feed you a lot, right? You get there, they feed you, you play, and then they feed you again. In Europe is definitely far above and beyond what it is in North America, but you don't have to get visas first off. You can just go and play and they welcome you there. Um, I think the UK... You know, depending on how things go here, you used to have to get a permit, but it wasn't all that much, a hundred bucks or something. Yeah, I think um, you still have to. You do. Yeah. But now with Brexit, who knows how that's going to go, it might get worse. But, you know, I think Europe, we did well there right off the bat. And because they have such a, you know, enormous festival circuit, once we started kind of getting on that and then touring with bands like Pulley and Mad Caddies and stuff, it was kind of a no brainer. And it's no slag to the U.S. because we have a lot of great bands down there, too. You know, as time moved on and we couldn't be full time and we could only do sort of the weekend things or, you know, little tours, it became less and less possible to go to the U.S. Now that things have changed a bit and we're looking at doing things a little more full time, I think, you know, you'll probably see us back down there again when it makes sense. You have a new album coming out, so you're going to want to push that. I would say that we're part time plus. <laughs> like we used to do 150 to 200 shows a year and I think we did that for about four or five years. I mean, 100 is certainly busy. It's not full time, though. Um, but that will keep us out there many months of the year. So I will say that uh, we're we're getting into a busy a busy band again, which is exciting. What's changed? Why why are you getting back into the back into it again? I just people's lives changed a little bit. You know, we had a couple guys that left with this last record um, who couldn't tour as much, and now we've got uh, Ryan and Dan who want to tour a lot, and Casey and I do as well. So you know, the, the stars were a little more aligned now with who's in the band right now. We were going to be busy beforehand, but now with a new record, it's it's going to probably be just that much more. The new record was kind of like, hey, we can't tour because of the pandemic. Let's just write something. Like it wasn't a plan at all? No, it wasn't planned. As soon as our, our West Coast Canada tour and our, um, our Europe tour got canned, Casey brought forth a song that he had had in his back pocket there for a while. And we just started working on it. We kind of got to about three, four songs. We're like, all right, well, should we do a seven inch? I don't want to do a seven inch. I want to do like something real. So like, not that seven inches are real, but I want to do something a little bigger, yeah, right? You want an album. And then you get up to like six songs. This is going to be an EP. Ah, fuck it. Let's just keep going. And, and then it got to where we got to 10 and it was like, okay, well, we should probably start talking to labels about this. That was in the last summer, end of last summer. And we, we set a target of trying to write 13 or 14 songs. And we got there um, and then started recording in December. I guess that's how Thousand Island Records kind of came in the picture. You guys just like shopping demos around and, and they were interested. I didn't shop too much. Like we, we've worked with Lockjaw before. They did, they did the UK release for our last record. And you have to remember too, that I'm booking a lot of bands. So, you know, bands like Wolfric and Drones and Chaser. And, you know, I already have this sort of established relationship with the labels because I'm already talking to them. Yeah. And so when it was, when it came up that we were going to do something, Thousand Islands was pretty much the first and only call. Yeah, it's, it's always good when you have that relationship with someone. There's a little bit of trust and, and all that kind of stuff. It goes a long way. I just know what they're all about. I know what they're all about. I know how they do things. They're honest people that work really hard and they're effective. And a band at our stage of the career, we don't want to just be like, oh, let's just burn this into the ground. Like we want to get more reach. We want to meet new fans and, and play with different bands. And, and I knew that they were going to be the ones that we could work with to sort of move this up to the next level, whatever that is.
Do you get a lot of people come up to you saying, oh, you influenced me. I'm playing punk music. I'm playing skate punk. I'm playing this fast technical punk because of you. Do you get that a lot? I don't know about a lot. I get it a decent amount and it's never something that I take for granted. And it's something that I, I sincerely appreciate. So I'm, I'm not a green room guy. I like going out to the crowd after a show. I live for that stuff. I live for those stories and, I, and those connections because as much as I love playing music, it's the travel and, and the connections with people that I really miss, that I love. So this happens sometimes. It's always wonderful when people show you their Belvedere tattoos or whatever. <laughs> it's I'm lucky in that I haven't become so jaded that it, that stuff doesn't affect me. It still does. And I still feel very lucky that 25 years later that we're still able to have that impact. To quote Davey Knight, you are one of the nicest guys in Canada. That's what he said. And I agree. And I know a lot of people agree. And I can honestly say in my early 20s, 
you guys, especially because you're a Canadian, you definitely influenced a lot of people. I know a lot of my friends, they all started bands. They all played that kind of din in and in and in and in all that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that type of riff. And it was like, might as well, uh, the full blast. I don't know if you guys play with the full blast or not. Do you know that, you know, the full blast, you must know yeah. them. Yeah. And we took them on our last tour before we broke up. Oh, cool. So many of my friends' bands like, and I told them, like, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Steve. They're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Tell him I want to be in his band. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of the switch, but thank you for saying, and Davey's a great, great friend and great guy. And um, yeah. that's really nice to hear, man. Thanks. Before we go, I want to mention, this is a standoff because I didn't know this until Davey mentioned it to me. You guys are reissuing all finals or you already did? We did, yeah. It's it, well, it's out the same day as the Belvedere record on May 14th. Okay, so, cool. Um, the first one came out on Mudcake Records in Germany last year, and Be Disappointed and Be Delighted is coming out on Thousand Islands as well. And we just limited it to 500 copies for both labels. And uh, I think on our side here, I think it's just about sold out. But yeah, we we finally released everything on vinyl, and so I'm I'm happy to have those in my collection. Yeah. And is there going to be any anything new from them in the future, or are you kind of just focusing on Belvedere? It's pretty Belvedere right now. I don't want to say no, because I've said no before, and here we are. You know, John is busy with the Blue Jays. I'm really busy with Belvedere and my booking stuff. So we'll see how it goes. You know, Graham lives in Morinville, Alberta. Nick's in Edmonton. I'm in Calgary. John's in Toronto. So the logistics of everything is still a little bit tough to, to figure out sometimes, and everyone's really busy right now. But we did get together for some shows in Europe, and um, yeah, the one you played, of course. Yeah, so we, that was 2018, I think. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, and that was cool. We got to play some festivals I hadn't you know, seen before, like punk rock holiday and Brack rock and stuff. And so it was super fun. And there's not really much stress with standoff. Like it's, we, we've always had a good relationship and it's always been awesome. So it's just four friends getting in a van, which is, which is awesome. And, and I feel that with Belvedere now too, as well as it feels really good. And we're just excited to get out there and play and see people again. Lots of people are excited to hear the new stuff. For sure, there's tons of people very excited about the new three songs that I've heard. And the other thing we actually worked on together was you sang for Mike and his uke, It's My Job to Keep Punk Rock Elite, the no yeah. effects tune. And I was actually the one who made the music video. I don't know if you know oh, that did or you not, really? that was me. Yeah, that was me. Oh, I didn't know that. That's oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, that was a, a killer tune. I think it's our second or third most viewed video on YouTube. It's a, Hopefully we can get another one with you going. Yeah. I, you know, I was talking to Mikey there a while ago, and I would like to do another thing with it. That was super fun. It was cool. Got to connect with Roger quite a bit because of that. Yeah. And actually, because of that, Roger's now, he sang on our new record. Awesome. So you'll hear wow. you'll, you'll hear him on, uh, on uh, a single that's coming up the day that the record comes out called Comrade. And uh, he tracked his parts at his studio, Moathouse in Florida. Yeah. And... Um, Roger's a great guy. And those, and you know, Les and Jake in general are, are, you know, those are top shelf people for sure. Yes. I actually messaged him last night saying, Hey, do you want to be on the podcast? So fingers mm-hmm. crossed, but that's a cool. great connection. Yeah. Um, I'm very, I'm very, very happy to hear that. Very cool. So before we go, where can people find you or the band and how can they order your stuff? We're on Facebook, uh, Belvedere. Um, what's, what's our thing? Six Belvedere six, six, nine. We're on Instagram. If you want to pick up the record, we're on Thousand Islands Records uh, out of Montreal. Great label. And there's lots of good bands in there too. Much the same. Chaser, Winning Streak. They're, like I say, great label. And um, that's awesome that you're, that you're supporting them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. Nice chats.
Big shout out to Steve from Belvedere. And this is a standoff. Thanks so much for hanging out with me and chatting about your bands. I really appreciate it. He's a Canadian legend. Canadian legend. 25 years of Canadian punk rock. That is just amazing. Amazing. Thanks so much, Steve. And I also want to give a shout out to another Steve, Steve Risen. He is the technical producer for this episode and for all previous episodes of the Miserable Failure podcast. So thank you very much, Steve. If you guys have any questions or any kind of feedback you want to send me, you can head over to crustymedia.ca or just email me at a miserable failure at crustymedia.ca and I will gladly read it. And if you want me to read it on the air, I'll read it on the air. If you don't, whatever. It's cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. We're all cool. (laughs) Anyways, have a great weekend. See you next time.